The Guardian. You're listening to the Futurescape Short Stories podcast, in which writers imagine what life will be like in the year 2025. The project is an exciting collaboration between Sony and Forum for the Future. It encourages people to think more deeply about the possibilities for our future. In this edition, we feature Kate Harrison reading her story, The Last Ladybird. Good morning, Freya, and happy 14th birthday. I cover my head with a pillow. I know what my diary presenter is going to say before she says it. Apart from changing my age, her script's been identical for the last five years. Of course, May the 27th isn't just your birthday. It's also Ladybird Day, which marks the sad day that entomologists declared Britain's last species of ladybird officially extinct. Diary smiles sadly, and it is sad, of course, but it's quite hard to get upset about the loss of a creature I've only ever seen as hollows or in storybooks. Same with honeybees. I can't believe there really was an insect that built hives, made honey and used to do the job of all the world's professional pollinators. Diary clicks her fingers and dozens of ladybird hollows dance in front of my eyes, actual size. Their wings move so fast that the different markings, spots and stripes, hieroglyphics, blur into a mist of red, black and yellow. The ladybird was named after the Virgin Mary, as the insect spots were thought to symbolise seven sorrows and seven joys. But sorrows were to dominate the fate of Britain's 43 different species of ladybird, after an invasion by more aggressive harlequins deprived smaller ladybirds of their food. Then an experiment in biological control through predator wasps only hastened the decline of all ladybirds, including the harlequin itself. So, Freya, our thought for today is everything has consequences. Dad swears those particular consequences had nothing to do with him, even though I know his department, the Ministry of Eco-Diversity, only exists because everyone's terrified about the rise in extinctions. So happy Ladybird Day, Freya! Diary chirrups, her software not clever enough to tell her that her cheesy grin looks all wrong after her extinction info burst. Looking like a fine day for your vitamin D top-up, a relatively mild 27 Celsius. Recommended sunscreen level, 31. Suggested outfit, red sundress, in honour of the ladybird. I reach into my wardrobe and pull out what Dad calls my black sack. Shouldn't we be mourning ladybird day, not celebrating it? Mum's hollow replaces diaries. She's working Sunday again. Happy birthday, Freya, darling. Don't forget, lunch at two. Where are we going? Wouldn't be a surprise if I told you that, would it? She blows me a kiss before diary pops up again and tells me I have 412 birthday greetings from friends in 62 nations. Plus a hyper-priority email about my options for responsibility year. I don't open it. I don't want to think about that on my birthday. 
As soon as my parents get back from work, we take a rickshaw down to the surprise venue, which turns out to be... Crystal. Wow. All the A-listers come here. Dad sees my face. Got a bit of a bonus this year. I won't tell Lily that. My best friend is a bit obsessed with Dad's job. She'll only start speculating about what evil experiments he'll have had to do for his bonus. Inside, I wish I'd taken Diary's advice and dressed less grungily. Goosebumps appear on my arms. Because it's gorgeous here, but it's also freezing. I guess that's the point of a restaurant made of ice. As we wait to be seated, Dad spots the eco-diversity minister sitting with his wife in a raised booth, and he waves at them. When the waiter finally comes, he shows us to a table at the back. I reach out to touch the frozen wall. I wonder how they keep it from melting in this heat. No need for menus, Dad tells the waiter. The hot and cold tasting menu, please. And champagne. 2011 vintage, if you have it. Good year for wine. And for baby daughters. The waiter's too cool to smile. He's holding out a tray. Then Dad remembers. Ah, I'd forgotten. Crystal's offline, so the celebs don't get papped. He gives his life device to the waiter. Mum and I do the same. Without it, I feel naked. The lady does pretty much everything from me now, except breathe. My whole life's on there, from the pocket money in my treasury to my school grades and the backups of every email I've ever sent, every picture I've ever taken. The waiter comes back with a champagne. He must notice how nervous I am because he winks at me. Don't worry, your lady's now on charge in its own fireproof safe. We take more care of the lady's than we do of our VIPs. I look round because Lily will want to know if anyone famous is here, but we're in the ordinary people's section. Engagements, retirements, responsibility year parties, you need a big excuse to afford Crystal. To our daughter, Dad is saying. Mum puts a drop of champagne in a glass for me and we toast and the flowery smell makes me nauseous. The waiter's back already with our first course, Asparagus and goat milk soup, frosted berries and damson mistral, he announces. The soup is the prettiest pale green. Iced black currants float on top like full stops and just above the surface there's a fine haze of dark purple. It's too pretty to eat. When I try, it tastes of nothing. Everything tastes of nothing, though I pretend I'm loving Dad's big treat. Native farmhouse cheese with nettle candy floss and wild leaves, the waiter deadpans. The candy floss is on top, a green-black nest of weirdness. The cheeses look like baby bells. But the leaves are the first appealing thing I've seen all night. They look... real. I move the cheese and floss to one side. The first lacy leaf almost disintegrates on the prongs of my fork. When I taste it... It's bitter, but mouth-watering. I have mine, my mother says. I need a coffee. She tips her pile of leaves onto my plate. I hear something hard drop onto the porcelain. Grit? Mum hasn't noticed. She's too busy trying to get the waiter's attention. As I move the leaves aside, I catch a flash of something red. Is this a present for Mum and Dad? A charm for my vintage silver bracelet, maybe? Then... It moves. Only a tiny bit, but it makes me jump. 
I peer at the plate. The thing is more orangey red than scarlet and it's freckled with black spots. It looks like a... No. It's diaries, silly talk, putting ideas in my head. All that drop of champagne. The thing is crawling like a... I stare at it. Perhaps it's a mutant beetle or a foreign invader like the harlequin was. It seems to be staring at its surroundings with its compound eyes. What the hell does it make of crystal? Finished, Freya, Mum asks. Then she whispers, Shall I order us pizza when I get my lady back? I'm still starving. The waiter approaches, impatient to clear our table for the next customers. May I? I grip the plate. No, even if it is some freak beetle, I can't let it be thrown away. Got to act fast. I cover the creature with the remaining leaves, then take my napkin and flop it across my plate, lifting the greenery as gently as I possibly can. Then I open my big messenger bag. I was right to go grungy after all, and slip the napkin inside. I private message Lily as soon as I'm home. Hey, Frey, where did you go for lunch? Crystal, but that's not... Wow, no wonder you look flushed. Who did you see there? It's not who, it's what. I take the folded napkin from my bag and hold it between the 3D triangulation sensors. I hesitate. What if it's empty? Or I've squashed it or scared the poor thing to death? I let the stiff fabric fall open. Lily leans into her webcam. Hold on, you know our connection's iffy. She squints, then gasps. <gasps> no way! Is that... Somehow, the creature looks even brighter here, against the soft whites and greys of my bedroom. I know it looks like one, Lily, but it can't be, can it? They're extinct. Is it dead? Where did you find it? What do your parents say? I answer her questions in order. Not dead. In a gourmet wild salad leaf. I haven't shown them. How can you be sure it's not dead? I hold it closer to the camera, blow incredibly gently. The antennae move. Did you see that? Frey, that's amazing. Have you done an ID? thought I'd get you online so we could do it together, I tell her. Great, let's... Then she shakes her head. No, we mustn't. They'll know. If it is what we think it is, they'll come for you. For it. But if it is a... I realise I haven't even said the word yet. Maybe I'm as paranoid as Lily. Well, we can't keep it a secret. There might be more. They might not be extinct after all. Lily's thinking. I go on instinct. She's the clever one. Let's not do anything till we've made sure. There's an underground internet place Dad used to use, unmonitored. And if we confirm it, look, Frey, the last generation didn't care enough to keep him alive. If we let the world know this time, it'll end up a freak show. The place where the salad come from will be overrun. Gulpers, bounty hunters, every rich kid will want their own. Do you really want to be responsible for that? I look down at the tiny beetle in my hand. For the first time I notice white hairs all over its wings. 
They make it look even more vulnerable. So what do we do? How many leaves have you got? I count. Four. I reckon that's enough to keep even the greediest beetle fed till we think of something. I'll meet you outside the entrance to Park 12C. I don't risk leaving the insect behind, so I empty a couple of rings out of a satin-lined box, poke holes in the lid with nail scissors, and then place the creature inside. It takes a few steps, then settles in one of the curved edges of the heart shape. It seems to be making itself at home. The cafe is in a dark basement flat behind the station. The walls rumble as we jam ourselves into a booth housing a retro computer that doesn't have triangulation or even a webcam. See for that way, Lily explains. She knows more about the risks than anyone. Do you want to see before we go online? I take the lid off and she stares at him for a long, long while. He's amazing, isn't he, I say. He? I shrug. He just... Seems like a he. Have you seen the hairs all over his back? We should give him a name, Lily says. You don't give beetles names, not unless you're four years old. Not for sentimental reasons, for safety. Like a code name. If we say the L word, someone might hear us. Spot, I suggest. Don't be disrespectful, Frey. Something dignified. He could be important. Noah, I suggest. And when she smiles at me, I know it's just right. It takes two clicks to confirm it. Noah is a subcochinella 24 punctata. A 24 spot. Ladybird. Found until extinction in grassland and meadows the only vegetarian species found in Britain before extinction. Is that why you survived, Lily says, because the harlequins prefer meat? Meat? Aphids aren't meat, I giggle, but I know what she means. It says they live for a maximum of two years, so there must be others for him to have bred with. Lily pales, if they haven't dug up all the leaves for Crystal's customers. I shudder. Most of those leaves went uneaten. Have the last ladybirds on earth had their habitat destroyed for the sake of a cheese course? We could go through the bins, look for where they got the salad from, or at least try to salvage a few, Lily suggests. I shake my head. It's secure, Lily. The Prime Minister eats there. We won't get anywhere near. My jewellery box sits on the table in front of us. I've never felt responsibility like this before. Maybe we should go public? Otherwise, what hope does he have? Not yet, Lily replies. The stakes are too high. I can't sleep. Every five minutes I use my Lydie's light to check Noah's okay. I'm desperate to go social. There'll be biologists online right now who know how to care for a... Noah. But I guess it'd be like asking for advice on harvesting honey from your bee colony or trimming the horn on your unicorn. The best that's going to happen is our duty GP will be diagnosing responsibility year stress, prescribing me pills for my delusions. And the worst? I check him again. 
Why isn't he trying to fly away? His wings haven't moved once and maybe it's my imagination, but they seem duller tonight. What do you want me to do, Noah? I whisper. I'm not silly enough to expect him to answer me back, but I really wish he could. Good morning, Freya. It's a fantastic spring Monday out there with a cooling breeze. Don't forget your sports kit. I notice you haven't yet opened your email about your responsibility year. Is there a reason for this? Too busy on my birthday, I call back from my bed. Diary takes a split second to process my answer and call up the appropriate response. Don't forget, you only have four weeks to reply or you'll be given a random allocation. Forget, not very likely. I put her on standby as I dress, then tuck Noah's box into my school bag. Outside, I can't feel the cooling breeze Diary was on about, only the heat. I try not to make sudden moves, so Noah doesn't have a bumpy ride. All well in Noah's Ark? Lily asks as we swipe in for independent monitored learning. He's fine. I didn't sleep a wink. We head for the old part of the library where they keep a few books for posterity. No one ever comes here except parents when they're being shown around. I open the lid. At least he's been eating. How can you tell? I point to a tiny mark I scored on the leaf with my fingernail. When we left, he was here. Now he's here. He's munched right through, see? What about when he runs out of food, Frey? I don't know how to answer that. The aircons were in like crazy, so the forecaster must have been lying. Lily says they do it to stop us panicking. She frowns. That box is the Earth in microcosm. We're forced to consume the planet we depend on for our survival. I hate it when she starts talking like her dad. It sounds fake. Plus, if the teacher's here, she's toast. I had one idea, she whispers. Kew Gardens, right? What if we went there and stole as many different leaves as possible? There's bound to be one he likes. Lily, everyone knows Kew's guarded like the Bank of England since the bio-thefts. <sighs> I guess... She reaches into her pocket and hands me something. Leaves. Where did you get these? Park, she says. Jeez, have you been caught? She shrugs. Worth it. I hide all the leaves in my bag except one. It's glossier than the salad and it smells acidic. No one might not like these. They might even poison him. I guess we have to try. I rip the tiniest piece off and put it into the jewellery box. Are you girls working or gossiping? A facilitator pokes her head round the partition. You haven't even got your lidies out yet. I've got my eye on you two. Especially you, Lily Barker. We reach for our lidies. When I touch the screen, my fingers leave a trail of sap on the glass. Dad's working from home because of the heat. OK, Ladybird. Not bad, Dad. Maybe I can talk to him. It's hard to believe he could do the things Lily says. Maybe his department has learned from the wasp mistake. Perhaps they do have the expertise to make Noah's habitat safe. Repopulate it? 
Everyone else at school avoids Lily since her dad posted one too many conspiracy theories and was put into protection. Her mum's got no money, so they live in this weird, naughty time warp with a house full of furniture and books and ornaments and a dodgy old broadband router. Mum makes me shower as soon as I get home from there because of the risk of book mites. Dad's looking at me. Something's up, isn't it, Freya? Is it your RY options? I sit down. Kind of. We won't push you into water patrol, it's just... We think it might be your only chance of a travel permit. Plus, we don't want you to opt for pollination just because Lily has to. It's boring, back-breaking work. But it keeps you at home, of course. And safe. You can pick up where you left off with Lily when you get back. Yeah. Except we both know it won't happen. Our why changes people, the way uni did when Mum and Dad went. You take the risks and the heat because it's an adventure. As for the danger, Dad continues, well, some of the aquifers can get a bit hairy, but we know you're sensible. Plus, well, with my contacts, you won't be on the front line. I frown. Dad notices. Might not be fair, but you're my only daughter, Freya. Yes, Dad can fix anything. I'm so tempted to tell him about Noah, but Lily's voice in my head tells me no. Maybe this is too big, even for Dad, to control. Cheetah Day comes and goes, as does Mountain Gorilla and Leatherback Turtle. And Noah keeps munching through Crystal's finest, though he ignores the stolen leaves. I've been back to Lily's internet join every afternoon when school's out, trying to find underground groups who might help, posting on forums under false names. Lily doesn't know I'm doing that. If I get caught, at least she won't have to lie. Though, if I am found out, I know it could bring trouble for Dad as well as me. That frightens me. But whenever I look inside the box, I know I'm doing the right thing. Twice I almost go social to tell the world, appeal for help. But I'm scared for Noah, and for myself. It happens after dinner, on the fourth night. I open the box as usual, stare at Noah, waiting for him to react to the light. But then I spot something on the silk underneath, something yellow, and the smell. It's like something's... died. No! I private message Lily. It's Noah, he's stopped moving, and there's yellow stuff. It must be blood, Lily. I think I've killed him. The monitors will have picked up on blood and killed, even though this is meant to be a private chat. But I don't care anymore. Lily starts to cry. I've never seen my best friend cry. What do I do? She scrubs her eyes with her fists. I think you should go social now. To explain to people what they've lost. It's not like they can hurt Noah anymore. But won't people hate me for letting him die? She doesn't answer. I write notes, cross them out. I can't find the words to explain. It's not just hardliners like Lily's dad who get torched online. There was a girl at school who had to relocate, all because she said the wrong thing about some other kid's favourite band. Noah needed me. Why couldn't I protect him? Perhaps I deserve all I'm going to get. I browse the channels to choose where to go social. Environment? 
No, I'll be a lamb to the slaughter there. Confessions? No, full of lurkers, hoping for something juicy. Loss and bereavement. I select it with a wave. A few of my friends tune in straight away, start firing off messages. What's happened, Freya? Are you okay? It's not your folks. I select broadcast. I, no, we, have all lost something today, I begin. Something that matters. I know I'm going to get flamed for this, but I have to tell you what I found. I pick up the box, the lid still on, and I hold it up to the triangle. The view counter shows more people are adding my stream to their feed. A couple of dozen now. I found something they told us didn't exist anymore. A ladybird. It's the first time I've said the word out loud. I squeeze off the lid, hold the box up to the triangle camera, using my other hand to make the sensors zoom in close. On my own display, his blood is a violent sunshine yellow. The acrid smell has grown stronger. I tried to take care of him. He meant something. Something like hope, I guess. If there's one of him, there must be others. But then where are they? Four hundred. Two thousand. The counter spins faster. Ten thousand people watching me now. I didn't kill him, but maybe I didn't do enough to save him either. Then again, did you? When ladybirds were on the verge of extinction the first time round? I put the box on my chair, leave the triangle focused on Noah. As I back out of shot, the numbers are still going up. 55,000 people worldwide are watching a dead ladybird in his heart-shaped coffin. Killer! Scum! Fraud? The flaming's begun too. The citizens of the world are doing their worst. You don't understand, I shout. I was trying to protect him. People are launching poles. Hoax or real? Should Ladybird Girl be arrested, jailed, buried in an airless box herself? It wasn't airless, I cry out, though the camera is still focused on Noah. What would you all have done instead? Taken him to the authorities to be experimented on or turned into a freak show? Murderer! I step back in front of the triangle. The way you're all acting, I'm glad I never went social before. Is this what humans do, tear each other apart? We're like wild animals. No, worse than wild animals. Most animals don't attack for the sake of entertainment. As I watch, more people arrive, rewinding my words, then live streaming. Something's changing. Could have been any of us. Give the girl a break, she's cut up. He might not be dead. Not dead. Of course he's dead. That's Ladybird blood. If you were here, you'd smell him too. It's too late. I tilt the box towards the triangle. Look, what else could he be but... And then Noah moves. 25 minutes later, our apartment intercom is buzzing. Freya? Mum hammers on my door. I don't know what the hell's going on, but there are journalists downstairs who want to see you. Google? The BBC? What have you done? I push my chair up against the door. I'm transfixed by Noah. 
and I'm not the only one. Seven million people, give or take the odd hundred thousand, are following Noah's progress across his final leaf. Go, Noah. Veggies will inherit the earth. Ladybugs rule. It's ladybirds, dummy. Not if you're in Region 1, you as of A. I thought Noah had been resurrected, but it turns out he didn't die the first time. Biologists in Korea, Bengal, Uzbekistan have all been broadcasting about the ladybird trick of reflex bleeding. Noah thought he was under threat, so he played dead and excreted noxious yellow blood to fool the predator, me I guess, till he thought the danger had passed. Except it won't be noxious enough to see off the scientists or the media. More hammering on the door. Freya Dad's on the lidy. He's coming over with a quarantine team. What have you been doing? It's an infestation of book mites from Lily's house, isn't it? You never listen. Seven million people hear the anxiety in Mum's voice. I step into Triang Range. They're coming, world. They want him. So what do I do? Open the window? Give him a chance to fly away? Mum calls out. Freya, your dad says if you don't let them in, you'll be breaking the law. The world is typing. Shame. Freya and Noah, stay strong. We're still here. We are the witnesses. The flamers have been drowned out. Instead, tiny faces crowd onto my stream, supporting us in a hundred different languages. Lily's one of the faces, her cheeks wet with tears. I hear sirens outside, but the voices are louder. Lily was wrong about people. And then I know. It's going to be okay. There are too many of us who believe... And the believers won't let anything bad happen to me or to Noah. He may not be the last of the ladybirds, but he could be the start of something good. The Guardian's Sarah Crown spoke to Kate about her story. So reading the story, the first thing that I thought was that it it feels very futuristic for something that's just, you know, really just 12 years in the future. And it feels as if what's happened in the intervening years is a, is a big shift. We've fallen off a cliff somewhere and, and things have really, really changed. And is that how you envisaged it when you were writing? I think that the really hard thing to do when you're looking at the future is thinking about technological change. And so I try to avoid that and to go for emotional change and to think about how it would feel a bit in the future. And we're also panicked about global warming and extinction and so on. And the Mm. truth is, none of us know which way it's going to go. So I wanted to create a a dramatic situation. Well, we've all heard about the honeybees and the issue there. And I read recently about ladybirds and this invasion of harlequins, a bit like Mm. the grey and the red squirrels years ago. And I thought that it would just be an interesting scenario. It's a real dilemma as well, I think. What would you do if you found a creature that was meant to be extinct? And that captured me, and and in a sense, the other environmental changes, so the idea of a responsibility year to guard the water or to look after pollination, because Mm. there will be no pollination if the honeybees no longer exist, they, they just came into it. It could be 10 years, hence it could be 50 years. It might never happen at all, but then that's part of the fun of trying to come up with mm. a story set in the future. And I thought, again, one of the things that was most sort of interesting and compelling about the story for me was 
voicing it through a 14-year-old girl. So instead of having somebody who's high up in society and who can look down on it and make sense of it, you have somebody who's come up through it, who knows nothing else, um, but has that kind of moral clarity of, of a young teenager. And it's, it's a coming-of-age story as well, isn't it? It is a bit. I think it's about facing up to what you can do. I mean, most coming-of-age stories tend to look at love, and in, in a way, I suppose this is a kind of love. Mm. It's a kind of connection with creatures that aren't yourself and I know that certainly a lot of teenagers and children feel much more strongly about the environment and animals than we do and I I guess that's partly because in a sense they can be purer about it they don't have to take responsibility for what's gone before you know they can shout up against the injustice and the mess that adults made of the world and feel I suppose a more pure connection with those animals and also I wanted to get somebody who was theoretically powerless but could then get into the idea of the social networking mm. and, and see how that could actually have a slightly more positive spin than it's often given in the media. What you also see here as you're reading it is that recognition in Freya of the fallibility of her parents, that sudden understanding you know, that maybe A, they're not always right and B, they're not always good. And her father um, works in the Ministry of Ecodiversity and it was very difficult, partly because of Freya and partly because of her friend Lily, to know to what extent this is a force for good or a negative force, something that we should be worried about. And you do also make reference at several points in the text to the suggestion that society is kind of really repressive and people are limited in what they can say and what they can do, which I thought was a really interesting sort of extra layer to it. Why did you introduce that idea? I think that, you know, within social networking, you have the idea of us being me-obsessed, self-obsessed, or this kind of public ducking stool whenever anyone does anything wrong. With it, behind that is an idea that we've got freedom, and yet I think that in the future it's going to be more and more a way of monitoring what we're doing, what we're thinking, who we're engaging with. I suppose, again, from the point of view of a naive narrator slightly, mm. She knows that there are consequences, but is less frightened of them than perhaps an adult would be, than her father would be, for example, Mm. because he knows that he's got a lot to lose. And so she knows that there are risks there and acknowledges them, but sort of sees the greater good. And by doing that, I think she captures something which we don't always hear the good press about the social networking. We've seen it with things like Syria or other campaigns. And so I wanted to capture the idea that maybe... We've got a lot of negatives. We perhaps will end up with a repressive methodology of using social networks, of governments being able to control us more through that, but that maybe human nature will be able to overcome that, if mm. you like, and have a sense of optimism and a sense of being an observer, which is kind of what happens in the end. And she, as you say, when she goes social with the story of the ladybird, she's plugging into a huge democratic audience. But the flip side of that, that again um, comes up in the story, is a sense of a society divided, so the the privileged and the underprivileged, I suppose. And Freya's certainly in the first group, and her father obviously is fairly high up in his job. He implies at several points that he can kind of swing things for if if necessary. So are you, as you're writing this, um, the story of this kind of seemingly upper-middle-class, well-looked-after little girl, were you also thinking about what that meant, the implications of that for the rest of society, that, you know, as resources reduce then that, you know, the, the people who have access to them will, will become fewer and fewer in number. I think that is why I included the character of Lily, because you get the sense there that her family perhaps were living a more alternative lifestyle and that she and her mother are paying the price for that. So she's got fewer options and she's got more restrictions, she's being observed more at school and so on. And I think that 
you know, you'd have to be quite blind not to see that I think that's that's the way that society seems to have been going. I, I remember when, you know, when I was her age in the 80s, we felt like everything was to play for and that the social gaps were narrowing and people went to uni and so on and it, it, it could happen for you. It didn't matter where you came from. And now it feels like it's changed. And I think that that, especially with digital and with people having so much to buy, you know, the next iPad, whatever it is, that those are becoming so much more a part of people's lives, especially mm. if you're a teenager, but even the adults too, you know, that that gap is being widened there as well and that that is kind of an uncomfortable situation. Mm. And, of course, the ladybird ultimately is completely defenceless and completely the lowest of the low, and these other animals, they really are at our mercy and really the mercy of, of consumers, of what we're doing what we're buying, the choices we're making. But you do end on, for want of a better word, a positive note, or if not a positive note, then at least you're offering up the possibility of hope that as a sort of species collectively, we will make the right decisions and we want the right things and hopefully we'll we'll stick around and, and look after those animals that aren't capable of defending themselves and indeed those people who aren't perhaps as capable of looking after their own interests. And is, do you believe that? Is that how you feel about it? I do like a story with a semi-happy ending. <laughs> I have to say, I, I think that if you explore things, you can bring the risks to people. And we don't know what happens here. It, it could all still go wrong. But I like the idea that we can make things better as well as make things worse. And I think especially because I write for young adults as well as for adults. And I think that there is a certain responsibility there within your storytelling to suggest that change is possible and that we're not kind of rooted in what's gone before. Mm. I don't know. It's impossible to predict, but that's part of the fun of it. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.